You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways, shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. So he goes, listen, guys, I got to tell you, this company, I'm already minus 17 million for the year. I don't know what to do with these records. I'm just going to let you go. He says, I ran out of money and they're closing at the end of the year. And we're living off of Rich's credit cards right this second. And um, I think Rich is having an anxiety attack. I am ready to jump off a building at that point. Welcome to Idea Generation's All Angles, a podcast about culture's most influential brands and the teams that built them. If you're an entrepreneur, creative, or anyone interested in harnessing the power of collaboration, join me, Noah Callahan Bever, each week as we dissect the most dynamic companies in culture, because the only way to truly understand success is to look at it from all angles. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. In 1991, Steve Rifkin founded Loud Records. And in the decade that followed, Loud would cultivate one of the most iconic rosters in hip-hop history, including Wu-Tang Clan, Mob Deep, Big Pun, 3-6 Mafia, Dead Prez, and The Alcoholics. But the label's success was a product of more than just one man's effort. Loud was the confluence of Rifkin's vision and network. 
childhood friend and partner Rich Isaacson's iron-fisted governance, and the impeccable taste, tone, and tireless efforts of an ensemble cast of hip-hop-obsessed young staffers. Not to mention, the timeless art of some of the most talented rappers and producers to ever pick up a mic or tap on a beat machine. On this week's episode, we talk to founders Rifkin and Isaacson, A&R's Maddie C., Scott Free, and Sean C., Radio VP Mojo, as well as Havoc from Mob Deep, to hear the full story of how Loud Records grew from a one-room office on Melrose Ave to one of the most successful record labels of the 90s, and how the inspired chaos that fueled their rise ultimately also contributed to the legendary label's undoing. But long before any of that happened, decades prior to Loud selling a single record, there were just two best friends driving home from soccer practice in Merrick, Long Island. Steve and I grew up together in Merrick, Long Island. This is Rich Isaacson, co-founder of Loud Records. It was kind of one of those neighborhoods where everybody played out in the street, so we knew each other just from being kids in the same neighborhood. So Merrick had a north side and a south side. The north side was all Irish. The south side was mostly Jews and Italians. This is Steve Rifkin, founder of Loud Records. So there would be fights pretty much every day that we went to school. Steve and I grew up a couple of blocks away from each other, so kind of been in each other's lives since we were literally little kids, teenagers, then high school. And we got really close, I would say, in high school. He was a senior in high school when I was in 10th grade. We were both on the soccer team. He was on varsity and I was on JB, and we, li- you know, we knew each other, but he was like the big kid, and I was really little at that point. So Steve was driving, and I didn't drive yet at that time, so he would take me home from practice or pick me up. And he makes a joke that I had to pay him, and he tells that story like, oh, Rich used to pay me to, just to hang out with me. Though Steve was raised in a mundane suburb of Long Island, his childhood was anything but ordinary. The Rifkin family was a music industry dynasty. Steve's grandfather had run a popular nightclub on Queens Boulevard, and Steve's father and uncle, Jules and Roy Rifkin, were hugely successful in radio promotion and early champions of R&B and soul music. Jules had been a senior executive at both MGM and Bang Records, was a confidant of James Brown, and would eventually launch his own label under Polydor, Spring Records. So it was almost a given that Steve and his younger brother Jonathan would add on to the family's legacy in the music biz. My house, we could only listen to WBLS. BLS was the only black station in New York, 107.5. So everybody else was listening to the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Beatles, Pink Floyd, you know, whatever the the rock and pop stuff was. I had no clue what it was. His dad was in the music business, and that household was really pretty exotic for Merrick, Long Island. At any given time, there could be a limo at the house. It could be James Brown, it could be Millie Jackson, it could be somebody from the Fatback Band. It could be Kenny Gamble or Leon Huff, who were the biggest producers. Founded in 1967 by Steve's father, Jules, brother Roy, and friend Bill Spitalaski, Spring Records ushered in a generation of classic R&B, funk, and soul, including superstars like Joe Simon and Millie Jackson. And by virtue of kicking it in Jules' living room, Steve and Rich got front row seats to witness how the music industry really worked. Spring Records had classic, amazing R&B. And then later on, Steve and his dad put out what many consider the first hip-hop record of all time, which was King Tim III by the Fatback Band. Steve wasn't exactly a uh, student, didn't care about being a student, had a learning disability. I didn't know how to read or write until I was 14, 15 years 
old. I was majorly dyslexic. Nobody knew what that was then, so they sent me to juvie. I didn't have to sleep there. If the literary bus would come, they would cuff me to the bus, and then they would take me to a school. And my parents, they tried their best with me. <laughs> um, they didn't even believe me. I really thought up until my senior year in high school, my dream was the NBA. My dad took me to a record convention one time, and it was at the Diplomat Hotel. And I was like, all right, this is kind of cool, but it really didn't do anything to me. I think he went to college for a day or a week or something like that, and he's like, this isn't for me. Seeing Steve drop out of college without any plans prompted Jules and Grandpa Rifkin to call a meeting with Steve. And the outcome of that conversation? Well, it would set off his career in the music industry. My grandfather called me. He goes, why don't you do what your cousin did? I'm like, what did my cousin do? He goes, he went to visit radio stations. Two weeks later, my grandfather calls me. He goes, pick me up at the airport. And he goes, we're having lunch with your father. We go to lunch. They say, right, you're going to go to visit some radio stations. You'll fly back to Florida with grandpa. And then from there, they, they gave me a route of where. And there was always somebody there. My first stop was Florida. I don't know how to read a map. I got $10 worth of quarters and 40 grand in cash. And my father says, if you disappear, you're dead. First stop, I went from Fort Lauderdale, Florida to Alabama, and I met a guy by the name of Dave Clark. Dave Clark ran the South from a promotion side of things. And he's introducing me to like program directors. And I, I just really did a lot of listening and I introduced myself and I just kept in touch. Dave didn't ask me to hang out with them. And I was like, where's the local college? Being much younger than the PDs and radio vets, Steve headed to the local colleges, both to work his dad's records with the DJs, but also to party with people his own age. This routine would continue for the next couple of years. Steve would visit college towns, build relationships with the local DJs, and get his records played on their stations. Ultimately, this network of radio tastemakers would become the foundation of Steve's career. From Mobile to Macon, Georgia, and then New Orleans, and I'd go back to the colleges again. And that three weeks ended up being three years where I would zigzag all across the country. So that's how the whole street team concept came together. After a few years on the road, Steve found himself back in New York City surfacing records to Frankie Crocker, a record-breaking icon at WBLS, the number one black music station in the tri-state. One Saturday night, Steve got an opportunity to roll with Crocker that would both open his eyes and transform his business. So this is when I'm around 2021. I'm at BLS Radio, and then Mae James, who was the music director, said, um, Frankie wants to talk to you. He goes, hey, does your dad still get the limos? My dad, he financed the limousine company, Music Express. I'm like, I don't know. Let's call him. Frankie goes, hey, Julie, do you still have the thing? He goes, yeah. He goes, I need one for Saturday night. My dad goes, yeah, no problem, but let Steven go with you. So I'm like, where are we going? He goes, we're going to the garage. The garage wasn't just any nightclub. This was the home of DJ legend Larry Levine, who from a later than late night underground club in downtown Manhattan, broke the sounds of disco and dance that would define pop music for a decade plus. It was a club and it opened up at six in the morning. Frankie said, come to the house around three in the morning. Go to the house, we go to Studio 54, we go to another club, Magique, and now it's time to go to the garage. He's not telling me anything, right? So around like an hour later, he disappears. I'm by myself. He's by the DJ booth. And he's not talking to Larry. He's just literally like eyeing the tiger. I'm like, what is he doing? So in between 8 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock in the morning, whatever Larry played, Frankie was adding to the radio station. 
Having seen Frankie's system of music discovery, Steve got an idea on how to capitalize on Larry's Golden Hour picks. So I'm calling Atlantic Records or Epic Records. I'm like, hey, I could get your Shannon record. I'm just making up a name. I could get your Shannon record edited to BLS tomorrow. You'll think there's no fucking way. I'm like, I promise you. He goes, if you get it, how much do you want? Five grand. There was a label called Next Plateau. I called that with C-Bank One More Shot, and I nailed all three records. So I made 15 grand. Nobody knows. I'm not, I'm not telling my dad. I'm not telling anybody. I'm 22 years old. I'm making 15 grand a week now. So I'm making a name for myself that Polygram puts me on retainer. Not for a lot of money, for like 500 a week. But I'm still getting those records. By getting those records, Steve means that he would watch the songs that Larry played during the peak hours on Sunday morning, knowing that Frankie Crocker would likely add them to regular rotation on BLS that week. And then, first thing Monday morning, he would call the labels behind each song that Larry played and offer, for a fee, to get those records in rotation, knowing full well that Frankie was about to do it anyways. Frankie, he had two assistants, Delfina and Beth. And I'm like, just tell Frankie every Saturday I'm going to go to the garage. I had a good run with that, two, three months, until I'm dropping off Popeye's chicken to Frankie. It was a Thursday. And I walk in, and there's my father and uncle and him. And it's like a scene out of the mafia. And I'm like, what's up? And my uncle has a temper, and he slams the fucking table, and he's like, how long do you think you're going to be doing this without telling us? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, we know what you're doing. I'm like, all right, I didn't know I had to tell you. And so Frankie's laughing, and he said the same thing. He goes, man, you guys really think you're some mafia guys. Frankie goes, when did you realize? I realized the first week. He goes, well, how did you realize? I said, you were just staring and listening, and you weren't writing notes, but you were, like, giving yourself a mental note. And I just watched. And then the next week, you left me again at at the same time. He goes, man, that's pretty brilliant of you. So my uncle says, well, how much did you make? I said, I was making around 15 to 20 grand a week. And they said, well, you got to give us a piece. And I was like, you're out of your fucking mind. Like, you're not getting a piece. I didn't give him a piece, but, you know, we definitely had words. And I mean, half that money was going up my nose anyway in those days. While Steve played fast and loose, Rich walked a straight and narrow when it came to his career. When I decided to go to law school, it was more like, okay, I need to have a profession. You know, I need to have some kind of security in life. I was always more of a realist, and I was a good student, and I figured this is a career path for me, and it gives me a bunch of opportunities to do different things. I went to an Ivy League law school. I had student loans. I had debt. Come out of law school, I worked for a big corporate law firm. You know, I think I'm at the pinnacle of the success that I was trying to achieve as a kid, making a hundred grand at the time, which was the 80s. I thought I was like rich and I think I've made it. And every day was just, it was like being a professional student. You have a homework assignment every night, you're never done and it never stops. And I was working, you know, 75, 80 hours a week, writing briefs, doing research in the library on the weekends. It was just awful. I'm doing that. I have an apartment on the Upper West Side, thinking it's the coolest thing in the world, even though I hate my job. And Steve's now in L.A. Steve wasn't in L.A. by happenstance. He and friend Hiram Hicks had gotten wind that Mega R&B Act New Edition were in the market for new management. So Steve moved to L.A. to cement the relationship with Mike, Ronnie, Ricky, Johnny, and Ralph. I decided I'm going to go out to L.A. for the summer. 
to just get closer to them. They love playing ball, I love playing ball, and that's how I ended up in LA. It's really because of New Edition. My best friend was an actor, and he was on a show called Tether to Class. I moved into Brian's living room for the summer. One of the girls on the show lived right above him, and I fell in love for the first time. And I said, AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways, shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. You know what? I'm moving. So with New Edition, that lasted around a year and a half. The Stephen Rifkin Company just went into high gear quickly. While on the road working records, Steve had built relationships with many college radio DJs and stations across the country. He leveraged those relationships into the launch of SRC, the Steve Rifkin Company, his street marketing and radio promotion outfit. 
As hip-hop continued to grow, so too did the opportunities to market it. And with access to the most powerful college radio tastemakers, Rifkin was able to break records in local markets and charge labels handsomely to do so. He used to come to New York to drum up business for his company because most of the labels were still in New York. And he'd sleep on my couch. And I'd do my law job and he'd go do what he did. I didn't really know what he was doing. And then at night, we'd meet up and he'd tell me what's going on and I would just be like, holy shit, what a cool job he has, you know? The coolness of his job was not lost on Steve either. In fact, it was so cool that it bred a bit of complacency and tempered his ambitions. A guy by the name of Jerry Aid, who owned a big talent agency, they were the premier like urban agency, he goes, you need your own label. And I'm like, Jerry, I don't want my own label. He goes, why not? I said, I'm doing good. I'm making a few hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm done at four o'clock. I go to the park. I play ball from five to seven. I show. I go back to the office from eight to 10. I go home. I really don't have pressure. He goes, will you please meet Paul Marshall? I go, I know Paul. That's my dad's attorney. He goes, please, Stephen. He says, I can get you this crazy deal, this, that, or whatever. I figured I was going to just try and do everything myself. I had the money. And then the second I walk into Rich's apartment, my father calls. He goes, get to the house immediately. And I'm trying to think to myself, what the fuck did I do now? He goes, I heard you just turned down a label deal. I said, nobody offered me anything. This, your lawyer said he could get me a label deal. I said, I don't know if I want one. I said, I'm doing good. I'm making two, 300000 a year. But Jewel saw the bigger picture and made sure that Steve did too. He goes, I know you don't listen to me, and I know you think you have every answer. What you're in is the service business. You're only as good as your last contract. If you start a record company, you'll be in the asset business, and you'll be making money when you sleep. So I, I spend the night, call up Paul in the morning. I said, I'm ready to get a deal. He goes, there are two places where I want to send you. A guy by the name of Irving Azoff, who just started Giant Records. And a guy by the name of Lou Malia. BMG just gave me like $20 million to start like the third major inside the BMG. I said, Irving's my first choice. And I didn't really know Irving and I was nervous and I went there wearing a shirt, a tie, and he said, we have a deal. He says, next time I see you, like, I don't want you wearing a tie, like, be you. So I thought we were doing this deal with Giant. So I'm like, all right, we got to come with a name that goes with Giant. Fate said loud, listeners of urban dialect. The name loud is an acronym for listeners of urban dialect. It was created by Fabian Durunet who was Steve's like right-hand man at the time. Despite the handshake deal with Irving and a perfect label name in Loud, before the ink could dry, president of Giant Records, Charlie Minor, would intervene and derail the negotiations. So Charlie Minor, let him rest in peace, was the president of Giant. Charlie didn't really want to be in the hip hop game. So we ended up at Zoo. Although it wasn't his first choice, Steve did the label deal with Zoo Records and began the process of building Loud. Rich was miserable being a lawyer. He was like working in a closet and he was working from like seven in the morning to like midnight, you know, and he was miserable. And I said, Rich, why don't you come here and work with me? You know, I need structure. He said, dude, I got a label deal. This is happening. You ready to come into business with me? I'm like, what are you talking about? And, you know, he goes, look, and he shows me a piece of paper, you know, it's like some deal memo. So I'm like, holy shit, is this real? You know, it looks like it's real. He convinces me to come out to L.A. for two weeks for my vacation from my law job. So I went out there. He picks me up in a BMW. We go to dinner at some cool place in Beverly Hills or whatever. Girls are beautiful, places popping. Then we go to some studio. There's some new girl group that's 
doing dance rehearsals and, and my head spinning like this is, is ridiculous. We go back to his apartment. He has a two bedroom duplex. I'm sitting on the couch and he goes, how was your first day? I go, what do you mean first day? He goes, we just worked like the last six hours. I go, that's not work. We went for dinner and we checked out a studio. He goes, dude, that's work. That's what we do. Though Loud was still barely just more than a name, SRC was doing independent radio promotion for all the majors, working records across the industry, including those of one legend in particular. More importantly, though, Steve's marketing company was paying the bills to fund Loud. At the time, Interscope hired us to work an artist by the name of Tupac. I'm like, this is crazy. I get totally sucked into this, you know, and then the next two weeks, I would just go to meetings with him, hang out, watch what was going on. And he's introducing me to people as his general manager. And I'm like, okay, Steve, whatever. And my eyes rolling. And I get back home. I think it was like January. It's New York, dark, depressing. My shitty little apartment facing the alley in my cubicle office. And I'm going, why do I live like this? I'm like, what is wrong with you? You know, like, what kind of life is this? I could be there. He's like on me. He's like, dude, you got to do this. This is happening. So I figured out to like, the dime, how much I needed to pay my student loans, to pay an apartment in L.A. I said, give me $52,000 and a piece of the company and I'll do it. He goes, no problem. So then I have to tell my parents. I was really worried to tell my dad. Surprisingly, my father, who was like a really blue-collar guy, was so thrilled that his son was a lawyer. And he goes, you know what, if you're not happy, just go for it. He goes, I don't worry about you, you'll be fine. So that really gave me confidence to just give it a shot because that was the last thing I was expecting him to say. So I gave notice at my law firm <laughs> and I packed up and I went out to L.A. However, when Rich touched down, he would quickly learn that Steve's situation in L.A. wasn't exactly as it seemed. So he comes in on a Tuesday and Wednesday and we're having meetings. So that weekend, Prim is having a dinner at this restaurant called Genghis Cone. It's a Chinese restaurant in Fairfax, and I had a BMW 325, and I give the car to the valet. His foot must have gotten stuck. The car goes in reverse on Fairfax. Lucky how nobody dies. Crosses over the divider, swings around in a U-turn, back going back into a gas station. What the fuck? And the car gets totaled. This is Rich's first few days. I was like, all right, this really can't be good luck. And then that Monday, I get the call from Interscope that they're letting us go. Interscope was paying him a lot of money, and then they decided they're going to start their own rap division, so they stopped paying him, and he was using that money to pay me. So I'm like, shit. With SRC's income in flux, Rich rolled up his sleeves and immediately started trying to sort out Steve's businesses. The first week, I went to Steve's accountant's office, and I said, um, show me the books. I didn't even know what that meant. It sounded like you know something you're supposed to do when you're in business. And they hand me this accordion file, and I open it up, and it's just a bunch of bills that were unpaid. So I take out a legal pad and a pen, and I start writing down a list of all the bills. And I'm like, okay, where's the money coming in? You know, I, I, that much I knew. And then they show me this tiny little book with a couple of outstanding invoices, and I write that down, and I look. I go, wait, I don't understand something. I go, he owes all these people money, and he only has this much coming in. And the accountant goes, well, what, what, what do you mean, what don't you understand? And I was like, holy shit, what have I gotten myself into? Things looked a little bleak, 
But while Rich was fixing the finances, Steve was in the street sourcing talent. And through his SRC Street Team network, he would find Loud's first act, a fast rapping MC from Chicago who would go on to become a legend. Steve had one artist signed, and it was Tongue Twister, who later became Twister. So Loud Records at that time was one 12-inch, wasn't even an album yet. Our first record was called No Peace Sign. Our deal with Zoo at the time was they don't have to spend any marketing money until we sell 50,000 albums. So 50,000 albums is a lot of albums just to sell on its own. <laughs> you know? So again, well, probably when Steve made the deal, he wasn't thinking about how's this going to work, and I, wasn't, I didn't make that deal. And, I, and I, if I did, I wouldn't have known any better at the time anyway. In order to stay solvent as a business, Loud needed to unlock that marketing money. So Steve and Rich went all in on breaking Tongue Twister. Known for his lightning-fast raps, the two applied to get Twister in the Guinness Book of World Records as the fastest rapper alive. And believe it or not, they managed to pull off the extremely cheap but priceless marketing stunt live on Yo! MTV Raps, making their sole artist an overnight celebrity. We miraculously sell 50,000 albums without any money. You know, we got him on in the Guinness Book of Records. He breaks Daddy Freddy's record on Yo! MTV Raps. We got him on Power 106. It's pretty miraculous. The head buyer for Warehouse Records, which is a big music chain on the West Coast, was this woman, Violet Brown, who is an unsung hero in hip-hop. Violet was one of the early believers in hip-hop music as a lasting genre, and she was super powerful because her blessing and her buying a record putting music in the stores was the only way to give an artist a chance. Violet was based in LA and she was tuned into what we were doing. So Violet placed a huge order for Tongue Twister. And I remember the head of sales for Zoo, this woman, Jane Simon, rest in peace, lovely lady. She called me up. She's like, you're not gonna believe this. Violet Brown just ordered 25,000. We have 50,000 orders for Tongue Twister. And I'm like, holy shit hang up the phone, I go into Steve's office like we just won the World Series, you know, like we've been working on this for a year and we get to this magic 50,000 unit threshold. Now we can go into Lou Malia's office and make some demands, you know, like we can get some marketing money and really do our thing. So we hit the threshold, Lou calls us, we're high-fiving each other. Like, we're good, you know, like we're going to see a few hundred thousand dollars of marketing. And he says, guys, I got some bad news. He goes, listen, guys, I got to tell you, I just started this company. I'm already minus 17 million for the year. The Germans are killing me, because that's what he used to call BMG, the Germans. They were the corporate owners. He's like, they're killing me. He goes, I don't have an urban staff. I don't know what to do with these records. I'm just going to let you go. He says, I ran out of money, and they're closing up Zoo at the end of the year. And we're living off of Rich's credit cards right this second. And um, I think Rich is having an anxiety attack. I am ready to jump off a building at that point. While the loss of the deal with Zoo was gutting for both Rich and Steve, it also presented a new opportunity. They were now free agents with a modest hit record under their belt. So they headed to the Jack the Rapper convention in Atlanta in search of a new home for Loud. We go to Atlanta for Jack the Rapper, which was a big convention back then. This very important lawyer, Joel Katz, we go to meet with him, he's based in Atlanta. Joel says, you know, what's going on? Tell me a story, and Stephen tells him, you know, we just lost our deal. And Joel says, hey, do you know who Ron Urban is? Ron is the COO of RCA Records. He's working out of my office. He's here in town, you guys should meet. So Steve goes for drinks with Ron Urban that night. He goes, 
All right, so this is going to be the deal. I'm going to give you 5000 or 10000 a month. Your budget is 75000 for our albums. And then you guys have funds for single deals. And then we're going to pay you 15000 a quarter to promote our record. So we went from $3,000 a month in overhead to $5,000 a month, which was holy cow. And RCA was going to give us a $30,000 quarterly marketing fund to do whatever we wanted. So I'm thinking, wow, okay, this is a big step up. You know, we're in the major leagues. It's RCA. We're getting $120,000 in marketing. Our overhead $60,000. Now I'm like, okay, we're in business. So Steve really pulled a rabbit out of his ass to make this happen. So we signed the Alcoholics, and the Alcoholics debuted number 17 on the R&B album chart. And RCA hadn't had an R&B album chart in years. So we are being celebrated. Like, ooh, who are these guys? You know, all of a sudden, we are like these two guys walking around the building to, oh, I gotta, I gotta have a relationship with Stephen Rich because of the alcoholics. The success of the alcoholics put loud on the map, and Stephen Rich were the new darlings at RCA. Not only were they signing artists and charting records, but they were also handling radio promotion for their parent company. Loud was finally starting to experience some real momentum, and this was just the beginning. Meanwhile, in Staten Island, a hip-hop-obsessed teen was forging connections that would make both him and his network of new friends extremely consequential characters in the Loud story. I'm from Staten Island, so I'm from Shaolin. Around that time, I was one of the few brothers to, to get off the island and go away to school. This is Scott Free, eventual A&R at Loud Records. At this point, though, he was just an aspiring rapper from Staten Island in a group called the Legion of Doom. This would lead him to befriending other local MCs, including a budding star from an adjacent neighborhood named Prince Rakim, better known to the world as the RZA. RZA was one of the one of the cats that every now and then we get off the island. You know, we take trips to Bronx River, we go to Brooklyn, we just look for records, stuff like that. I think he had a crib with Ghost. Him and Ghost had a, a spot in Stapleton. But, um, you know, um, unlike the rest of us, Rizzo was pretty much living on his own, you know, hustling. But he had he had the equipment, you know what I mean? I went to University of Maryland, College Park, and continued my hip-hop education, however you want to put it, down there. But, you know, I still stayed in, in touch with my boys from, from the island. While Scott attended University of Maryland, he would make frequent trips with his friends to nearby Howard University. One weekend, the Rizza, then signed to Tommy Boy Records as Prince Rakim, decided to join them. Rakim had come down for the Howard Hip Hop Festival and me and the crew, since we were down there, we scooped him up from the Amtrak. That particular summer, whenever that was, he had dropped Sexcapades and Ooh, We Love You, Rakim. Ooh, We Love You, Rakim had a had a video. Sexcapades was like on the B-side. I could see what he was trying to do. You know what I mean? He was trying to appeal to a little bit more outside of the box or whatever, but it wasn't really what I was used to hearing from him, what he was doing, you know, on the regular and you know, what I later on started to hear, you know, from him and his crew. While Rizza honed in on his sound, Howard Homecoming would introduce Scott to another main character in the Loud story, Matty C. A young writer at The Source magazine, Matty penned the famed unsigned hype column, which would put a spotlight on and ignite the careers of artists like Notorious Big, Common, and Mob Deep. So Scott Free at the time was an MC. And he was bringing me his demo material. We met in college through mutual friends. And so he started coming up to the source a lot. This is Matty C, 
future director of A&R at Loud. First playing me demos by his group, the Legion of Doom, and then a couple of other things from Staten Island. Mainly, he knew RZA and had been to his crib as just another Staten Island MC that was coming through to possibly record, share music. And the first thing that Scott let me hear was a song called Rugged and Raw, when the woo was just RZA, Jizza, and ODB. And it was just them three on the song. This record was phenomenal. To this, yo, to this day, I still try to sometimes go through my tapes to see if that record pops up, right? You know, it's old dirties, it's like, it's rugged and raw, it's rugged and raw. And then he comes in, fucka, 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 foo, from out of the blue, first number two. Niggas want to step to the Wu-Tank, you know what I mean? Dirty had that whole, that whole steez down pat at that point. And then a couple other people started showing up at my office talking to me about Wu-Tang. Just kind of beat his buzz. Rizza had blessed me with the Pateki Neck single. It was like, yo, yo, we'll take this up to your boys up there and let them hear, you know, what, what we're working on. So I took the joint to Matt. He would do a write-up on whatever new 12 inches were coming out at the time. That became the first, I think, independent 12-inch to be profiled in the source. The guys started coming up to the office, to source, RZA, Jizza, Meth, all of them. RZA would be the main one who would come up, as well as Meth, and just kind of play music, listen to music, and talk about the plan. And we'd go into the stairway, smoke weed, and, and he would talk about his plan to get individual deals for each of these artists. Before, I think there was an actual plan for the whole group, per se, you know, in place. And at this time was when he was envisioning this all as an independent thing. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com with the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to reu hotels and resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> 
Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Maddie's right up on Protect Your Neck in the Sources Sure Shot single column, legitimize the record and put the very local, very independent group in front of a national audience. With Wu-Tang gaining serious buzz, it wasn't long until the track landed on the radar of Stephen Rich. We had a guy that worked for us named Trevor Williams, one of our LA-based guys who called college radio. And he used to talk to this DJ named Jason Staten. He was a college radio DJ. And Jason, just as a hip-hop fan, sent Protect Your Neck. And he flipped and he sent Trevor the vinyl like, dude, you gotta hear this record. So Trev gives me the record. I just quit smoking like a week ago. I'm just like, I'm losing my mind. I go, there's no fucking hook to this song. Trevor goes, this is the biggest record in the world. Trevor plays it in the office, just as you gotta hear this crazy shit. And everybody's like, whoa, what is that? Steve hears it, he goes, what is that? We make some calls, he makes some calls. Everybody's trying to find out what the deal is in Wu-Tang. And Steve tracks down RZA. So this is in January. I'm trying to get, get in touch with Riz. I've spoke to him once, but he has no answering machine. I go to New York for my 31st birthday. I'm at RCA. The reception goes, Prince Rakim is here. I'm like, really? And he comes up. He goes, the guys are downstairs. Can we come up and play the record? They come up. There's eight of them. And the offices, just picture what a guest office looks like. It's a closet. And they start performing the record. Some guy comes barging in and says, that's that shit. And I never see him again. I sign... Not because I love the record, I love the energy, whoever that fucking guy was, and Trevor beating the fuck out of me saying, that's that shit. We start negotiating. Rizzo was kind of jaded in the music business because he had a bad experience with Tommy Boy when he put out his own record. So he decided I'm gonna do this myself. You know, I guess he liked us, felt secure enough to do this deal with us. And we said, look, this is all we can offer you. You know, we're with RCA. So we made a deal. We get Protect Your Neck, a B-side, and the video for Protect Your Neck for $10,000 and 18 points. And then if we sell 50,000 units of the single, we have to put out an album. We have to give them the money to make an album. That was the deal. RZA said, okay, I'll do it. One caveat. RZA said he'll do the deal if he's allowed to shop the solo artist. I have to be able to take the guys to different labels. So the guys had a deal, or so they thought. Unfortunately, Riz's one caveat was a much bigger ask than either Steve or Rich had anticipated. There's this inherent small print in every record deal when you sign a group that if any of you guys go solo, that stays with us. So the idea that Riz saw this guy, Steve Rifkin, as like, oh, you're going to give me a deal and we can go solo because that's, that's unheard of. And so I think Steve didn't really know that that was unheard of. 
So we go to RCA Business Affairs and say, this is the terms. They want this little caveat that they could sign the artist to other labels. And they go, no, 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 not happening. I'm like, what do you mean? No, there's a thing in the music industry that's standard called a, a leaving member provision. Whatever, we could get this band for $10,000, a song selling. They're like, not happening. We can't change this precedent. This has been going on in the music industry forever. So from somebody who wasn't in the music business, to me, I'm like, this makes no sense. Of course, Steve's apoplectic about this as well. How are we going to not keep this band? And the head of business affairs at RCA, who was kind of like a rabbi to me, this guy, Roger Skelton. Roger said, I'll, I'll help you out. I'm going to come up with a solution. So he goes and talks to his bosses and he comes back and he says, okay, here's what we'll agree to do. If they agree that we have a matching right to any offer that they get, and if we match that offer, they have to stay with RCA loud. So RZA says, fine. And so that was a great solution. That had never been done before, believe it or not, in the history of the music business. Rich got the Wu-Tang deal across the finish line, but in the process, made a costly oversight by giving Wu-Tang Clan an astounding 18 points. Steve is unbelievably good at relationships, drumming up business, marketing himself, connecting the right people, finding the right people, but no clue as to the business side of things. And that was why he brought me in. Little did he know that I didn't know anything, for instance, when we signed Wu-Tang Clan. You know, I knew what our agreement was at the time. I think we got 15 points for a single from RCA and I did the deal. You know, at that time I thought I was learning something and we had no money to pay a lawyer even. So I was like, okay, I'll get a, a form. I'll read the Donald Passman book. And I had a couple of friends that were lawyers in the business at that point. And I said, can you send me a production deal form? So I kind of cut and paste a production deal. And stupidly, I ended up giving Wu-Tang 18 points for each single that they sold. And we only were getting 15 points. It didn't dawn on me to look until Wu-Tang started selling. I remember I looked at the contract that I drafted, and then I looked at the contract we had with RCA, and I was like, holy shit, what an idiot. We're losing money every time we sell a record. And I went to the head of business affairs at RCA, and I told him what I had done. And he's like, don't worry about it. You know, we'll fix it. Because they were making so much money, it was negligible, and he took care of me. In fact, the single for Protect Your Neck, backed with Method Man, was selling so well, the group's members started fielding solo offers long before Wu-Tang's debut album ever hit shelves. Still, despite all that buzz, the group couldn't get the attention of RCA's top brass. By the time we closed our Wu-Tang deal, now Def Jam offered Method Man 180 grand. We go to RCA and said, we're gonna lose Method Man. You gotta give us 180 grand. And they're looking at us like, you're crazy. We're not giving you 180 grand for this unknown hip-hop guy. We'd sit around the table at RCA and all the guys that were running the departments, great people, great executives, but they all came from Nashville. The president of the company was from RCA Nashville. The head of marketing was from RCA Nashville. The head of sales was from RCA Nashville. So they're like guys doing country music who are now running a major label in New York and we're coming to them with hip-hop records by the Wu-Tang Clan and Ghostface Killer and Jizza, so they would laugh. They would literally sit in the meetings and laugh when we'd say the names of the guys that were in the band. They're like, oh, it sounds like Chinese food. And we're like, how are we gonna get these guys to understand what this is? I was working at RCA LA and they weren't really helping. This is Joseph Mojo Nicosia, a veteran New York City club DJ turned radio promotion executive. 
Mojo worked at Loud's parent company, RCA, and would become Loud's inside man. As Stephen Rich's operation grew, they would eventually bring Mojo on board as one of their VPs of radio promo. Steve and I met, and he almost got in a fight with Terry Anzaldo, who is my boss on the West Coast. He was trying to talk to this guy to go to radio with Wu-Tang Clan, and he just wasn't hearing it. And Steve and him almost got in a fight. I, like, got in the middle of it, and he left. Terry looked at me and goes, he's a piece worker. I said, at least he gives a shit about his artist. We should be helping him. And that's when I decided I was going to help him. So while Steve was ready to physically fight people in the office to get the machine behind his artist, and he did start to make some allies in the building along the way, it wasn't enough to hold on to most of the Wu-Tang solo deals. So they wouldn't agree to Method Man, the 180, so we lost Old Dirty and we lost Method Man. And then, you know, we kind of had a wink and a nod understanding with RZA at that point. And he said, look, I have a plan. I want to have my own label and I'm going to have Ghostface signed to me. And if you guys can make us a good deal, you guys could keep Raekwon. With Wu-Tang soloists spreading out across the industry, RZA wanted to make sure that he was on top of everything going on with the group's debut project at Loud. So he hit Scott Free and asked him to be the group's A&R to ensure that he had an inside man working at the label. So once that started going down, RZA told me, yo, go get in touch with this guy named Steve Rifkin. Go check him out. We need somebody up in the office, like, watching our ass and helping us out with this with, with this shit. I gave Steve a call. He got back to me and was like, let's sit down, let's talk. He had told Stretch Armstrong that he was going to sit down with me. Stretch was a good, good friend of mine, and Stretch definitely gave the cosign on something like, yo, Free would be good in helping you, you know, with A&R shit. He's got good ears and good dude and this and this and that. So Stretch kind of gave me like a real big cosign with Steve. Armed with a cosign from underground radio DJ Stretch Armstrong and a personal connection to RZA, Scott became the first official New York employee at Loud Records. With Scott in place to help Wu-Tang navigate the Loud system, Steve and Rich would lean on Mojo to get the RCA machine behind the group. We went and saw Wu-Tang Clan perform, and then I went into Butch Wah's office and said, okay, what's my budget? He gave me the numbers, and I said, I'm going to put the whole thing on Wu-Tang Clan and Loud Records. We had a big argument, and I said, if it's my department, that's what I want to do. And he let me do it. I think it was within four days, I had them in vans. We were driving all over the place, trying to break their record. In the van, they played Wu-Tang Clan all the time. Enter the 36 Chambers over and over and over and over. So at one point, it really hit me, like, how unbelievable it was. I became possessed. RZA had this style of the way that he got me, he would get everyone on the road. He would explain what the metaphors in their lyrics were. And I remember he said, we're going to spread this like a virus. And, and that's exactly what they did. RZA was also, he made milestones of where the P&Ls and the sales were going to be. And he was pretty much right the whole way. They worked hard. They worked really hard. They were out there going for it. And that's what really built loud was that we would just jump in vans and go. Just like RZA planned, Wu-Tang was spreading like a virus. The group and the entire staff at Loud knew the ensemble was special, but none of them had any clue how far the group's debut, Enter the Wu-Tang, was about to take them all. But on the night of the album's release, both partners would be made fully aware. The night of the Wu-Tang album release party, we had dinner with the president of RCA kind of to celebrate the success of the alcoholics. Like that was a big deal. Like we're getting acknowledged. The president's giving us a dinner. 
we went from that dinner to Webster Hall. We were about three blocks away from Webster Hall, and all the streets are closed off. I'm like, what is going on here? We think there's like a police issue. So we get out of the cab, and we said, let's just walk, because we're going to be late for this party. And we come around the block, and we see the line wrapping around the corner, and we look at each other, and we're like, holy shit, this is for our event. This was for the Wu-Tang album release party. And we're just looking at each other in disbelief. Like, we knew Wu-Tang was happening, but we had no idea, like, what a big sensation it was going to be until that night. Steve and Rich had witnessed Wu-Tang mania with their own eyes, but neither could have expected the global phenomenon the group would become. From starting with the Novelty Act to signing the greatest group in hip-hop history, Loud was now on its way to becoming the hottest label in rap. However, as quickly as the company would rise to the top, it would soon all come crashing down. But to hear the heights of the label's success and how it all unraveled, you're going to have to tune into part two of the Loud Record story, right here on Idea Generation's All Angles. This episode was brought to you by Will Packer. Executive produced by John Volacek and Helena Ox. Original music by Valentin Fritz. Edit and sound mix by Nonsensible Production. And hosted by me, Idea Generation founder, Noah Callahan Beverly. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. This is the lunch rush at your local deli. Orders are flying in. Online, on the phone, and in person. Order for Nick. So is it possible that fast internet could help your business outrun the rush? It is with Comcast Business. Powering your connected devices with gig speed Wi-Fi and fast downloads and uploads. With Comcast Business, next level speed isn't just possible, it's happening. Comcast Business. Powering possibilities. Requires gigabit internet and compatible router. Actual speeds vary. Do you have a digital mindset? Check out Season 3 of This is Digital. Season 3 of This is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including driving profitable growth in enterprise software and how the new sports fan experience can drive revenue. Featuring guests like Chris D'Agostino of Databricks and Scott Crable of Tama Bravo. Check out the latest and greatest on Season 3 of This is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com.